We are going to spend some time now studying the scriptures together. And so we're excited. Uh, Kendrick mentioned this earlier. We've got some of our, our leaders and volunteers here at the church with us this morning. We have a few more in the room uh, to kind of practice what it's like to have people in the room and worship with us. We're still at that 25% uh, limit, which of course makes it weird not being able to fit many people in here, but it's really awesome to have people in the room. So those of you that are here, thank you very much for being willing to help us figure this out. We're kind of doing a trial run, dress rehearsal this week. Um, We're going to debrief with the folks that are here after the service uh, to try to figure out how to do this better and then try to open up more and more uh, as we move forward. So anyway, for those of you watching at home, please continue to pray for us as we try to figure this out. Um, So That's kind of the main business update. We are opening up slowly, um, prayerfully, and investigating other creative options as well. Um, We're going to start a new series now. So we spend time every week studying the Bible because we believe the Bible speaks to us with the authority and relevance of Jesus himself. Our summer series is going to be called Stories of the King. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at stories throughout the Gospels, And because of the strangeness of this time where we have a lot more children with us and because of the emphasis on trying to communicate sermons that that connect with adults and children simultaneously, we purposely picked this series. We could have continued with the next portion of 1 Corinthians, but we felt like that was one of the most adult portions of Scripture. So we're going to kind of kick the can down the road and maybe come back to that later. And we want to focus on stories of Jesus this summer. The other issue is, man, our country is more divided right now than we've ever been. People are divided over the coronavirus. People are divided over race. And we all know that the world is broken, right? We all know that things are messed up. And so we want to refocus our attention on Jesus, who he is as the true king that can solve our problems. And how as we entrust ourselves to this true king, and as we follow him, we can be a part as his body, as his church in the world, of helping to make the world a better place, of establishing his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. So we're going to be studying stories of the king this summer to focus on him, to help us know the way forward. The other thing I really want to challenge you with this summer as we study stories of the king is I want to challenge you to practice storytelling. I'll talk about that some more as we look at the sermon, but I want you to practice the art of storytelling. Sometimes you might call this narration, kind of retelling a story back. Um, We're going to be following the Jesus Storybook Bible, so you can, if you're a parent, read the Jesus Storybook Bible with your kids at home, but then also read uh, straight from the scriptures to your children, encourage them to practice telling the story to you and you telling it to them. Uh, Adults that don't even have children want to encourage you just as adults, practice retelling the story. This is something that Christians have always done. In the modern world, we're spoiled because we have so many books, and it's a great blessing, and we love it, and we want to study our Bibles and know our Bibles. But for most of history, for most of the history of believers, people would tell the stories to each other. They would tell the stories of who God was and then retell them to their friends and their family. So we want to practice that some this summer. So this week, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 4, and we're calling it The King Fights. Matthew chapter 4, the king fights. Yesterday was a big anniversary of D-Day, and so I want to read some quotes about D-Day as we think about the fight that we've been called to. Now, we're starting with this example of D-Day, which is a physical fight to free people physically, but God calls all of us to a spiritual fight to resist sin, 
to resist temptation and to trust God. So I just want to clarify that up front as we use an illustration of physical battle, we're illustrating a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6 says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And so the real fight that we're going to see Jesus engage in is trusting the Father. Okay, so let me give you some quotes about D-Day. D-Day, the anniversary was yesterday, June 6, 1944. The fighting was brutal and scary and tense. Many soldiers were shot exiting landing craft. Some drowned in the waters of the Bay of the Seine, weighted down by their equipment. On the beach, the soldiers crossed open sand with ridges and water-filled troughs exposed to gunfire. They had to maneuver around man-made seawalls covered in razor wire. Mines were buried in the sand, ready to be detonated with one false step. And then after all of that, they finally had to scale cliffs that were 170 feet high. This was a huge operation, an incredibly dangerous operation, a horrible fight that led to freedom. And so I use that because, again, the anniversary was yesterday. I use that as an image of, man, we're all called to fight, but it's not necessarily a a war in that sense. We're all called to fight, every one of us, whether you're a soldier or not, we're called to fight sin. We're called to fight temptation. We're called to fight the fight of our hearts, to, to trust God. And Jesus joined that fight. And so at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry here in Matthew 4, we see Jesus coming out in the open as the Messiah, beginning his public ministry. And one of the first things he does is he fights with the devil himself. So let's read the text. We're going to read in Matthew 4. Matthew 4, starting in verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Now, when he had heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee, of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. 
I'm going to stop there. I'm going to pray for us and ask God to help us, to teach us. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you have given us Jesus, and we thank you for these stories of this King. We pray that we would be people of the King, that we would love the things that you love, that we would follow you. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would meet us as we proclaim your word, as we proclaim these stories of Jesus, that your Spirit would seal it in our hearts, that we would have hope, and that we would make a difference in our cities and in our communities because of it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the big idea of this is that the king fights. The big idea is that the king fights. And as we work through the text, I want to have a kind of rough outline that I'm going to follow here in order of what we see Jesus doing. And that is first that love drives him to fight. We're going to see that love drives him to fight. I'm going to kind of cheat a little bit and go back to chapter 3 to pick up some of that, but also look at chapter 4, verse 1. Love drives him to fight. The second thing that I'm going to look at is the idea that he fights with God's word. He fights with God's word, meaning God's word is the weapon he uses to fight. Not he fights against God's word, but he fights with God's word. It's the weapon he uses to answer the evil one. And then finally, he calls others into the fight. He calls others. He invites disciples. He invites followers to follow him. He invites others into this fight that he's declared on evil in this world. And so the first one we want to look at is that love drives him to fight. Love drives him to fight. We live in a, a hard world. We have this this picture here uh, in a literary sense of Jesus going off into the wilderness. And he goes off into the wilderness to begin this fight. He's fasting. He's facing the evil one. But this is a picture of something larger that's happening. Paul says in Philippians 2 that Jesus left the comforts of home in heaven to come into the earth. So he already came into a wilderness from the moment he was born as a little baby in Bethlehem. Do we see that? And so Jesus is the one who's willing to go into the wilderness for us. In the same sense, he calls us into the wilderness. I want to start there because right now our country is so divided and many of us are are weary and we feel beat up. And I just want to remind you that God can do great things through us in the wilderness. If you feel like you're in the desert, if you're exhausted, if you're hungry, if you're hurting, recognize that we have a God who joined us in the wilderness. We have a God who came into the wilderness through Jesus. And so as we see this beautiful picture, we start to get a, get a fuller idea that, that love drove him to fight, and then love can drive us to fight as well. And again, when I say fight, I mean fighting temptation and trusting God. That's where the real fight is. And we've got to go through the wilderness to engage in that fight. And so think of all the great heroes of the Old Testament. They, they had wilderness periods as well. This is a, a normal thing, right? Abraham going off into this unknown land. Moses going off into the desert and then again taking the people into freedom and then into the wilderness wandering. We, we see it in so many different places and so many different stories and so many different contexts. We see it replayed in the life of Jesus and we feel it replayed in our own lives as well. Just Friday, Friday was my day off. Um, So that means I'm going to try to get a little bit of yard work done, which is actually kind of therapeutic and makes me feel happy inside when I'm out in the sun. Uh, I am sun-powered, solar-powered human being, so I enjoy being out in the sun. I enjoy doing work in the yard. It's kind of restorative for me. It's it's kind of Sabbath time for me on Fridays. Um, And so I'm kind of doing that, and I was going to go get my bike worked on so I could maybe start biking again. 
And I got a call from a friend, one of our neighbors, member of the church, actually a friend of a friend. Uh, they were in trouble. Friend had a wreck. Uh, the wife was trying to go get her husband, and she didn't have a car, but he had the car. He was in a wreck. He needed help. So ran off to help them. It was so glad I was able to help them, and everything seems to be okay, right? But that was kind of a startling, like, oh, what's going on, right? Um, and then I came back, you know, to hang out, be relaxed again, care about me, and then my daughter called me, and she had had a wreck as well, but she was two hours away, so then I had to drive two hours away and help my daughter and help her get her car fixed. It was like, it's like, wow, God, that's kind of a weird day off, right? Like, friends in a wreck, rush and help them, then I try to relax again, my daughter's in a wreck, rush and help her, and, and, and she's okay, and, and everything's going to be fine, but... I just thought it's just one more example, right? Like y'all have countless examples of this in your own lives, right? You expect ease or you expect comfort or you expect convenience. Maybe you were going into 2020 and you thought, this is going to be a good year. I've got a plan and I'm going to work my plan and it's going to be awesome. And then the reality of 2020 hit, right? Um, Paul says in Philippians chapter one, we're eventually going to get back to the story of Jesus. Sorry, this is extra setup. Paul says in Philippians 1, of course, I'd rather die and be in heaven face to face with God. Go back and read Philippians chapter 1. This is one of the most comforting texts to me. I think because I'm a man of comfort, I want this world to be more comfortable. I want it to be easy, but you know what it is? This world is the wilderness. This world is the wilderness. And God calls us into the wilderness to fight evil and sin and temptation. He's called us here to help others and to trust him. Okay, now let's, let's look at the story. Let's back up to chapter 3, verse 16. Because really, before this first public fight of Jesus, we have a public affirmation of Jesus. In chapter 3, so we've got Jesus, love drives him to fight. So point one, chapter 3, verse 16. When Jesus was baptized... Immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. That's, that's what God told him publicly before he goes into the wilderness. So what I want you to see here is we have to understand what God says about us who we are in Christ before we can go out into the fight. So the way I'm phrasing this point one is love drives him to fight. Love drives him to fight. So I'm still on point one. I think I've totally confused my, my PowerPointer. Sorry, I don't know. I can't tell. We've got new screens, so I'm totally confused about what, what people see and what I'm seeing. So, oh, there we go. That's what you're seeing. Okay. So love drives him to fight. So the father affirms this love to him. The father says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. This is my son. I I want you to see that that is what actually gives us the strength to wander through the wilderness. So again, back to my long setup. We're in the wilderness. Do you believe that God loves you or not? Do you believe that being in the wilderness means that God hates you? Or do you believe that God loves you and he's entrusted you with a job and a journey and a quest that he has you on right now. I'm, I'm begging you to see that God loves you and you're in a hard place. And he has work for you to do in this hard place. The American dream has confused us big time. It's, 
mixed us up and we've got this new thing. It's not really new, this ancient heresy, this ancient cult called the prosperity gospel. It's like if you believe God enough, you'll have everything you want and everything will be easy and you'll have no troubles. That's later. That's heaven. Now we're in the wilderness and he's called us to follow Jesus. And as we believe that love, we'll join in the fight. We'll, we'll fight the wilderness. We'll fight the evil. We'll, we'll trust God and we'll invite others in with us. And so then chapter 4, verse 1, this is the key verse. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So who led Jesus into the wilderness? The Spirit. The Father says, I love you. The Spirit takes him into the wilderness. Because I want you to see that this plays out again and again. I don't have time to look up every verse and give you all the cross-references, but we do the same thing. We live the same pattern. And we can either trust in the Father's love, or we can say, nope. He, he calls us into this fight. His love drives us into the fight. I had a picture of a dove, because this is an image that appears a few different places in Scripture. It's a, a symbol for the Spirit. All the way back in Genesis 1, we have this like darkness and it says that the Spirit hovers over the darkness and then God brings His creative power into the darkness and the void of uh, pre-creation, pre-filling and forming. It's a, it's a very mysterious passage there at the beginning. But there seems to be some sort of chaos and God comes in and brings His grace and His creative power. And we see this image of the Spirit hovering like a mother bird over creation. Well, that same image comes into Jesus' baptism. Jesus is baptized. He's coming in with John the Baptist and saying, I believe in what you're doing, John the Baptist. You're calling people to repent and trust in Jesus. And he says, I'm going to be baptized too. John the Baptist, you can read all the different gospel accounts. John's like, no, that's not right because you have nothing to repent of. And Jesus is like, no, I'm, I'm doing this to publicly affirm who you are and you know, we're on the same team. And, and so then when Jesus is baptized, the spirit, the dove, descends and hovers Affirming the love. So again, back to systematic theology. We have two things that we see in this passage I think are really important that we'll see in the rest of Scripture. That is that the love of God is declared to us by the words of the Father, and then it's affirmed by the presence of the Spirit. Do you see that? So we see this acted out in Jesus' life, and then there's a million other verses in Scripture that tell us this. God the Father speaks His words of love to us, and the Spirit affirms that. It comes up really clearly in Galatians and in Romans. In Romans chapter 4, it says the Spirit is the one that affirms that God is our Father. If you're not believing that God is your Father, you need to call out to the Spirit and say, I need you. Will you come and be with me and affirm that God loves me? And so the message of that is the cross. The message of God the Father's love for us is Jesus coming and dying on the cross for us. Fighting the fight in the desert. Living a perfect life as the human that we should have been taking our place on the cross, rising from the dead. That message is the message that God the Father is speaking to us, the message of his adopting love. And in Romans, we're told that the Spirit affirms that to us. Do you believe that the Father loves you? Do you believe that he loves you? If you believe that, then you will join the fight as well. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Do you believe that? He loved you. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's John 3.16. 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. So really, another way to say this is, is love is the fight. He's called us into this fight 
And his love drives us to join the fight in this wilderness. Um, we, have to, we have to believe this is true. The Father loves us. And if we really believe it's true, we're going to make the most of our time in the wilderness. Do you believe it's true? Do you believe the Spirit in his love is leading you into the wilderness? We, I, think, I think right now, more than ever, as a people, we're willing to recognize we're in the wilderness. The question is why? Do you believe it's because God hates you? Or do you believe it's because God has work for you to do? I believe God loves you, and that's the message of the gospel. And he's got work for you to do. And he's calling you into the wilderness to to join the fight by loving others. I got to write a newspaper article for the Clean Daily Herald this week, and I just want to share one little... Thank you very much for that. Uh, Let me share one little line from it that I think is helpful in tying this together. This fight that we're joining as we see Jesus in the fight. Celebrate with those who celebrate. Cry with those who cry. Live in harmony with each other. Do not be proud but struggle alongside the weak. Never consider yourselves as wise. That's the relational, relational posture we're called to. That's uh, in Romans 12. That's actually my translation, if you're trying to find that in your own translation. That's my own translation. Romans 12, 15 through 16. In our interactions with people who have different opinions than us, are we obeying Romans 12, 15 through 16? Do we celebrate with those who celebrate? Do we cry with those who cry? Do we live in harmony with one another? Do we struggle alongside the weak? Do we never consider ourselves as wise? If we obeyed this, there would be no division in our country right now. That's it. Like, that's the formula. This is what we're called to. This is the fight that we're called to. This is the wilderness that we're in. And we're called to love others in the wilderness. And heal the division. To be the ones that have the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to heal the normal human divisions, the normal wilderness squabbling that everyone else is caught up in. The second point is that he fights with God's word. I'm going to read through this quickly, but what I want you to see is that every time the the devil tempts Jesus, Jesus answers with scripture. So God's word is what Jesus uses. And again, he's modeling to us how we should live as humans. We've talked about this in the past. Oftentimes we look at the life of Jesus and we say, Jesus is no model for me because Jesus was God, so I can't follow him. But actually, as you study the life of Jesus, it's pretty clear that he lived as a human and shows us how to live. Was he God? Yes, he was. But he lived as a human, dependent on the Father, trusting the Father, answering temptation with Scripture. That's what we're called to do as well. So, Chapter 4, verse 2. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, I've never fasted that long. I don't know about you, but that would be really hard. He was hungry. I think that's an understatement. So Jesus was fasting. He was hungry. And in his hunger, verse 3, the tempter came and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now remember what just happened. He was affirmed as the son of God. He was affirmed as God's special son. And the tempter says, well, if that's really true, take the easy way out. And Jesus, I, th- I think to paraphrase, he's saying, well, no, I'm not. I haven't been called to take the easy way out. I've been called into the wilderness. I've been called to live as a human. I've been called to struggle alongside humanity and to live for them and to fight the fight of trusting God the father and his plan instead of trusting the tempter in the easy way out. Man shall not live by bread alone. It's not just bread. Do we need bread? Yeah, we need bread. But it's not just bread. We really need God. We need his word. 
every word that comes from the mouth of God. Verse 5, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So he takes him up and he's like, hey, jump off, make your dramatic entrance, right? He's not trying to get him to commit suicide. He's trying to get him to come as Messiah in power. Jesus says, I'm going to come as Messiah in weakness. I'm going to suffer with and for humanity. I'm going to to walk the wilderness walk because this is the Father's plan and this is what he's called me to. Jesus said, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Jesus was able to fight temptation because he knew scripture. Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy 6, 7, and 8. Encourage you to spend some time yourself studying Deuteronomy 6, 7, and 8. Clear instructions to God's people before they entered the promised land, reminding them that they could trust God. God was telling them, hey, you can trust me. You should trust me. And this is what Jesus is answering with. He's answering with scriptures that remind him that I can trust God, that God will take care of me. I had a picture of Peter swinging his sword when Jesus was captured right before the crucifixion. Anybody remember this story? Peter, who goes on to become a leader of the apostles after the resurrection, before the resurrection, doesn't fully understand the way of Jesus. Peter still thinks that we fight with swords. And Jesus is saying, no, we fight by trusting the Father, resisting temptation, loving our fellow man. Now, Paul goes into details and says in Romans 13, Yeah, we need police. We need soldiers. Yes, those still exist in this world. But as followers of Jesus, how do we we spread the love of Jesus specifically? We spread the love of Jesus by trusting the Father, by using his word instead of swords. And the way we're going to trust the Father is by repeating his words that he's given us of trust. Do you know the scriptures? As I said before, one of the things we want to practice this summer is each week, study a story about Jesus and then retell the story. Read the story a couple of times, tell it to a friend. Read the story a couple of times, tell it to a neighbor who maybe doesn't know the stories of Jesus. Just say, hey, can I practice? My church is practicing telling the stories of Jesus. Can I practice on you? Maybe call them up, right? Maybe a social distance uh, picnic table meeting, whatever it might be, but practice telling the stories. And engage your children in this as well. This is one of the most important parts of education we've kind of lost In the last couple hundred years, we've become so paper-oriented, it's really good for the human mind to practice listening and speaking. It's like a whole other part of our brain that's often forgotten in the way we do uh, schooling these days. We we don't want to only write things down and read books. It's also good for us to hear stories and tell stories. It's like a different mental muscle that helps sink God's Word into our hearts. Do you know the Scriptures? Are you sharing it with others? Can you answer the temptations of the serpent, of the tempter, of Satan, the evil one, with Scripture itself. That's what we're called on to do. So practice storytelling. I also think it's really helpful to practice memory verses, right? I shared a couple of memory verses, 1 John 4.19. That's a verse that's meant a lot to me in my life. We love because he first loved us. John 3.16, for God so loved the world 
He gave His only begotten Son. There are these key verses throughout Scripture. We've talked in the past about uh, the Roman road, uh, these key verses about the gospel. Focus on memorizing these key Scriptures that remind you, no, God loves me. Everything else makes me think God doesn't love me. Everything's falling apart. I'm in the wilderness. I feel like God hates me. Memorize these Scriptures so that you can answer that temptation. It's the evil one accusing you. Satan and devil are a Hebrew word and a Greek word that means the accuser, the condemner, the opposer. Answer him with truth, with Scripture. Uh, we just rewatched a movie, a really good movie on the life of Martin Luther King. And one of the ways that Martin Luther King protested uh, racial abuse in our country was they did it without physical violence, right? Go back and watch this movie. It's a great movie. It's called Selma. And in it, you see them training. They're not going to fight fire with fire. They're not going to go toe-to-toe with these corrupt sheriffs, right? It's going to be non-violent protest. This was a form of protest that was influenced by the gospel. It was also influenced by Gandhi as well. Um, but it was influenced by the gospel, the idea that we don't fight with swords. We fight with truth. We fight with God's word. That's how we can change things. It's a great example from history. Okay, last point. He calls others into the fight. He calls others into the fight. I read a little of this, uh, verses 12 through 19. We see in verse 12, Now he heard that John had been arrested. He withdrew into Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea. I just want to kind of gloss over that little part real quickly and say, Jesus started hanging out with second-class Jews. That's what this area was known for. Second-class Jews that mixed with other races, Gentiles. So that's where Jesus was starting his base of operations. You can reread that. It's the, the place of the Gentiles. It was a place that had been overrun many times by many different empires, so it's kind of a mixed place. It's kind of like a rough neighborhood. This is a place where there are a lot of Gentiles and a lot of Jews and a lot of confusion. That's where Jesus established his base of operations. Then pick up in verse 17. Starting at 17, we get the message. Here's the message that Jesus had. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does that mean? That means turn. Repent means turn. Change your mind. Stop trusting in sin. And trust in God. That's the fight. Don't trust temptation. Trust the Father's love. Don't trust that sin will fix your life, but trust that God loves you and you can follow Him. Trust in Him. The kingdom of heaven is right here. It's for anybody, any race, any people. This is the message He's proclaiming. Verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I grabbed a picture of fishing nets. Um, Fishing nets, it seems a little less violent to me than the way we fish with hooks, right? Right? Don't you feel sorry for the poor little fish with the hook through the mouth? No, you don't. Okay, no, no sympathy there. Well, anyway, the nets, you're just gathering them, right? And this is the way they fished in the first century, in Galilee specifically. They cast fishing nets. And Jesus uses this as a metaphor 
for the fight that he's calling us into. He's like, I'm inviting you into this fight. I've been sent into the wilderness, Jesus is saying. The Father has sent me. The Father loves me. I have confidence in the Father's plan. And I love you, followers, and I'm inviting you into the fight as well. He's inviting us. Here we see him inviting his first followers, right? We, we weren't there. I'm not Simon. You're not Andrew, right? But he's inviting all of us. He clarifies this at the end of the book at Matthew 28, 18 through 20. He's like, I'm, I'm giving you all authority. All of you go together and make disciples, make more followers, right? So we're living that out 2,000 years later. He invites all of us into this becoming fishers of men with big nets. He's saying, I'm inviting you to throw out the net and gather in more people that will trust that the Father loves them because he sent the Son to die for them and to rise from the dead. And then we'll invite others to trust him as well. Are are you on board? Do do you want to be a part of what Jesus is doing in the world? The primary way that we will impact the world is by trusting the Father and inviting others to trust him as well. But I want to clarify, the, the brand of church, the tribe of church that we belong to, has sometimes dipped into this realm where we've said, all we need to do is preach the gospel, but we don't, we don't want to worry about helping people physically or worrying about difficult issues in our city. They both go hand in hand. James has hard words for this separation that happens sometimes in Christian lives where we say, just trust God, but don't do anything to physically help anyone. James says, no. James says, that's not appropriate. James says, they always must be squashed together. Now, that doesn't mean we want to merge politics and the gospel, right? But we want to help people. We want to meet them where they are. We want to celebrate with those who celebrate. We want to weep with those who weep, cry with those who cry. We want to live in harmony with one another. We want to struggle alongside the weak. Remember Romans 12, 15 through 16. He says, this is what it's going to look like. This is the fight. The fight is described by Paul in Romans 12, 15 through 16. We're invited to trust that God loves us. I trust that God loves me so much that I'm willing to be inconvenienced and and listen to the tears of my brother who is struggling. I'm willing to be inconvenienced and consider another viewpoint that I might at first glance think is crazy right? We're in this time in our history where we're more divided than ever, and the temptation is to rush to what is right. Well, this is the right team, that is the wrong team. What if we loved people on the other team, right? Even if you think they're crazy. What if you said, you know what? Romans 12, 16 told me to not think that I'm so wise. So let me take my idea and set it aside for a minute and love the people that disagree with me. What if we did that? What if we were known for that? That doesn't mean we never have ideas. That doesn't mean we throw out all our opinions. That means there's a relational process that we are called to go through as we engage this fight. People are going to see more clearly who Jesus is as we actually love them in real life and listen to what they have to say. That's what we're called to do. But more and more, we're told, nope, pick a side, pick a side, pick a side. So again, from the article I wrote for the paper, I just want to read one, one more little part. So Romans 12, 15 through 16 is, is kind of the, the roadmap that Paul gives us. Celebrate with those who celebrate. Cry with those who cry. 
Live in harmony with each other. Don't be proud, but struggle alongside the weak. And never consider yourselves as wise. So what if we really did this? Here's what I had to say in the article. What if we conscientiously celebrated and cried with our friends? That's a simple place to start, right? What if we did not withhold sympathy and empathy, but we joined with our friends and family members? For some of you, you can't even do that in your own marriage or with your own kids. And that's where you need to start. Forget about enemies and people you disagree with. You got to deal with your spouse. You need to listen to your spouse. You need to listen to your child, listen to your brother, your sister, and start there. But as God works this in your life, as God teaches you to live out the gospel and how you treat others, then you're going to have opportunities to do this with enemies as well. So what if we conscientiously celebrated and cried with our friends? What if we consistently did this with our enemies? What if Christians were known simultaneously for having a clear view of truth, but also a humble and empathetic patience with those around them? What if we were known for holding to first principles, but also being willing to listen and learn from others? I believe the gospel will be heard more clearly as we act out the manner of our Savior, not just the message that we proclaim. There's a message to proclaim, and then there's a manner that we act out. And even if you don't see immediate results, right? Even if you don't see, like, well, I love this person, I was patient, and then they, they didn't change their mind and agree with me. It's not really the goal to get to your agenda as quickly as possible. The goal is that you would love like Jesus loves. You would proclaim the truth about who Jesus is. We're sinners that need a Savior. And then you would love patiently the way Jesus loves us. Sacrificing, giving of ourselves. As Philippians 2 tells us, have the same mindset as Jesus. Jesus left the perfection of heaven, moved into our rough neighborhood to give himself for us. And so we are empowered by the love that Jesus gives us by doing that. And then we follow his model. We don't want to separate those out, right? Different Christian teams throughout history have said, let's just talk about the message but not live the model. Others say, let's just imitate the model and they forget quickly the message. The message is God loves you and he forgives you. And you need him. You desperately need his love, but he loves you. And then the model is, hey, let's, let's fight with God's word. Let's, let's share God's word and let's fight with our own patience sacrifice, inviting others into this process, listening, learning, caring. Let's be a people who are about the message of Jesus and the manner of Jesus. I'm going to pray for us. Thank you. God, we love you and we thank you that you've called us into this fight. God, help us to see that the fight is not for self. The fight is not for me. The fight is not for our tribe. The fight is not for our stuff. The fight is to resist the temptation of the evil one that says that you have abandoned us. So help us to believe what you tell us. And we pray that your spirit would seal it and ratify it in our hearts so we would know, yes, God is with me. He loves me. He sent me Jesus. I see it clearly through the cross, through the resurrection. And now I'm going to invite others into this same fight to trust that God loves me and to love those around me. God, show us practical ways that we can love our city, our neighbors, our family members. God, make us a people of patience and truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.